You're listening to This Nazarene Life, stories of young Nazarene clergy and their role models. Today on the podcast, we have Reverend Scott Collins. Reverend Collins has been an Army National Guard chaplain since 2010, including a deployment to Afghanistan. Now he's currently pastoring Knoxville First Church of the Nazarene in Tennessee. Thanks for tuning in. Pastor at Knoxville First Church of the Nazarene in Knoxville, Tennessee. Say hello, Scott. Hey, how are you doing there today, Britt? Hey, I'm doing good. So the first question I ask everybody is, how did you end up in the Church of the Nazarene? Well, like many, I was born into it. I'm a fifth generation Nazarene, but we had a great, great uncle who started the Monterey, Tennessee Church of the Nazarene in 1901. And We had some granddad that was a member of it, Uh, and then our family grew up in East Tennessee, Um, and then my dad's side of the family grew up uh, mainly in Indiana and Nashville. Two sides came together, and half my family has gone to Rebecca. I I didn't. Uh, I went into uh, computer engineering at Tennessee Tech University in East Tennessee, and um, after Lord paid for that, uh, a year later, he then called me into the ministry, Uh, so I went off to Asbury Seminary under the... uh, advice uh, of my uncle who was a, a DS at the time and uh, had a wonderful experience there but I worked full-time and stretched that wonderful MDiv from three years to six years and uh, and then uh, pastored for a couple years and ordination came along and um, commissioned into the army chaplaincy as well uh, so my call has always been uh, to the local church I feel very passionate about uh, local church ministries and and discipling the body, but uh, I have this dual call and this dual role uh, to also be an army chaplain, um, as well as a continued call uh, to bivocational ministries. And I don't know if that makes me quad vocational or something at this at this point, uh, being a husband and a, and a father of three. But uh, the the Lord <laughs> blesses us with strength and encouragement. Um, so I have a, a wonderful family legacy uh, in the Nazarene Church. Um, I'm blessed with this Nazarene network, as we jokingly call it, with a family, it seems, everywhere you go. Uh, you run into people not knowing them beforehand, uh, but uh, seeming like you, you've known them for years. Uh, so even just running into a couple of people at, at a conference here, and, uh, and again, it, it's like shared kinships and shared friendships across the denomination. To be millions... Um, it can still feel uh, like it's smaller, and that's nice. So can I ask you about your original call? How mm-hmm. did you end up um, How did you end up with that original call that sent you to, to Asbury? Very good question. Um, so I finished high school, and I just never really left the, the youth ministry department, <laughs> and I continued on and basically uh, an assistant uh, youth pastor type role, uh, and, and just kept working with the teens, and and I went around that freshman year of college at, at Tennessee Tech and, and asked other people who I know who I knew had been called by God, uh, and said, "What does it sound like? What does it sound like?" Um, thinking that there was this distinct voice of God or something you're supposed to hear from the from the heavens audibly, and uh, and finally with that youth group on a, a summer um, 
conference on the traditional Thursday night service when they call everyone down. Uh, I was one of those who went down, and I clearly heard in my own way uh, the Lord uh, calling me to a, a vocation of, of pastoral ministry. I basically said, Lord, are you calling me? And I had an overwhelming sense of yes. Um, and mm-hmm. so ever from, from, ever, from that moment to, to forward, I've always felt called um, to, to utilize the engineering background in, in a, a multivocational way to support my family, to support the, the ministry of smaller churches that can't uh, fully fund pastors. Um, that's, that's definitely a strong call uh, I've always felt and, and tried to live up to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he's just taken our family in a, in a bunch of different directions. Uh, so with the, uh, the local church work uh, continuously uh, while we're in seminary and then uh, in the local pastorate after seminary uh, and then onto the uh, other side of the world uh, through chaplaincy uh, in the Army National Guard uh, in 2011 to 2012, uh, served in Afghanistan. Um, and then since 2012, we've been living in Knoxville, Tennessee. So how did you know about chaplaincy? I feel like maybe mm. a lot of people don't even know that that's an option for a pastoral calling. So. Yeah, I don't know if I would have really seen it either. But uh, my uncle, uh, Sam Wood, uh, he had a 23-year career uh, as an Army Guard chaplain while also pastoring the, in the local church, while wow. also supporting his family um, through outside means, uh, whether uh, selling insurance or, 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 or selling world book encyclopedias. Um, and, and so I've just always seen that commitment to, to work, commitment to support, again, church and family uh, and by any means necessary. So... Um, I was in high school, uh, ROTC, had some kind of a connection to the military, um, it liked playing Risk. Um, and then uh, I had a cousin that came back from Afghanistan, and he was a Marine, he was literally on the front lines, he talked about playing hide-and-go-seek with the Taliban, um, with rifles in their hands on both sides. Uh, and I think it was his second tour, and uh, it was at a Thanksgiving, and I just remember the sense from God that you can help there too. It's almost like a missionary who leaves where they're at and goes to a place that just doesn't know Jesus as well as we know. Um, and that's not to, to, to denigrate or, or anything, but we're called to be outposts. We're called to be lighthouses um, on the periphery, on the edge, where there isn't as much light. Um, you know, if in a fully lit room, we, we don't need as many candles, but uh, on the edge of a dark seashore, uh, we definitely need a lighthouse to, to call people to Christ. Um, so I say that uh, one week in a month and, and two weeks uh, in the summer, uh, I have another congregation of around 400 people uh, that has about 1% attendance. Um, and uh, and it, it's not so much about having soldiers show up to your services uh, as much as it is you are everywhere with them and the shared endeavors produces fertile grounds for relationships that may someday lead someone to Christ but has definitely led them to my door when they're in their darkest experiences Um, and in those moments whether I'm sharing compassion or sharing the gospel or sharing divine wisdom that they don't understand comes from the Bible. It's an opportunity to be Christ to others in a place that (laughs) I wouldn't have had that opportunity had I not gone down that road.
what's it like to to be a chaplain? What does it involve? What does it look like on a day to day basis? So uh, on my weekend, uh, it looks a lot like uh, having a cup of coffee in your hand and walking around. Um, we talk about a ministry of presence. Um, that is the, the, the core concept um, in chaplaincy. And um, I've been in six years, and I can easily say uh, that it has developed and shaped my pastoral ministry by learning to simply, and also some Eugene Peterson reading, but to simply be comfortable and resting in the moment with people. Mm. Um, to not be in a hurry or in a rush to the next thing on the calendar, but that every moment with another person is sacred. Every moment um, that they are sharing their story and they need an ear to listen to them is a divine moment. Um, every moment with them is, is their opportunity to share what's on, on their mind and their heart and to allow God the room to, to move and, and maneuver in that situation. Um, if, if you hurry up and you give them you know, the best answer or, 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 or you just try to fix their problem, you don't allow the Holy Spirit, uh, the room, to, to work uh, and what's going on in their heart and their mind and, and that, that next second and third conversation that they really need to have. Um, I've realized that sometimes that first conversation is really just the starter to get things warmed up for the conversation they're really trying to have. Um, and, and a soldier can be a, a tough nut to crack. Uh, sometimes they, they, um, they'll, they'll bury it deep and it'll take a long, a long time of uh, warming up uh, before they're ready to share what's, what's really going on in, in their life. Um, and, and sometimes that, that's literally a couple of years of relationship building. I'm honestly lucky and blessed to have been with the same uh, unit for five years now um, and it's the, the ones I went to Afghanistan with, and there's been lots of turnover still, um, but they are <laughs> accustomed to seeing me everywhere, and it's that weird guy who's smiling all the time and got an <laughs> insanely upbeat, positive attitude for some reason, even though everyone is, is bored or miserable. And literally, if I can say that I, I can walk into a room um, and, and light up their spirits. Um, I think that's the same thing as bringing the light of Christ in, into every encounter um, that we have. Mm. I'm curious about advice you might give to somebody mm. who's in the Church of the Nazarene. Mm -hmm. um, maybe they're getting ready to go to college or they've just graduated with a theology degree mm. and they're considering perhaps this road. How, how yeah. might they explore the chaplaincy? I had this exact conversation with an 18-year-old like a month ago. Uh, mm. Again, a contact who knew I would I could be a trusted advisor said, "Oh, you got to call this chaplain. He's a great guy." Um, when I felt called to pastoral ministries, I never knew it, would look, it could look like this. I never knew it, it would look like this. Mm. Uh, but simply being available for others um, is it, what's so important. So, um, for army chaplaincy, for well, for military chaplaincy at all, it uh, requires a, a master. Of divinity degree, uh, so you need to go get a bachelor in something, and then uh, a, a an MDiv degree from your institution of choice, um, and then uh, it requires two things: basically to be approved by the military side and to be approved by the the, the denominational side. 
So you need your ecclesiastical endorser. Basically, a denomination says, yeah, that person's good to go. Uh, or, and it's often simply ordination or uh, in the Church of Nazarene licensed ministry that uh, is the bar for that. And then going before uh, a chaplaincy board. Uh, and then on, on the Army side, it's, it's really just paperwork and the same minimum bars that it takes to get in, into the military at all. Uh, and so once you have those two halves, it, it goes together. So, um, And then when, when you uh, have all your ducks in a row, they'll send you to officer school and, and they'll learn you up on uh, a lot of the military side, but also the uh, kind of constitutional basis for our role um, in bridging the fine line between um, a, a person of the cloth uh, getting a paycheck for delivering uh, religious instruction um, from the federal government. Uh, so we, uh, we always talk about uh, being able to perform or provide since we have to take care of literally everybody, not distinctions. I don't take care of only the Nazarene soldiers. I take care of everybody, no matter if they uh, believe Christ or not. Um, so what we can't, what ministry we, we can't perform, like, uh, you know, I'm not allowed to do a Wicca service. Uh, Church of Nazarene doesn't look too fondly on that. Um, but, uh, for those soldiers, uh, you know, I, I may not appreciate or, 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 or have any belief in what they believe in. Um, but if, if we're on the other side of the world and it brings them comfort to be able to practice their faith, uh, I need to be an enabler in that. Uh, and not a hindrance to that. Uh, that is uh, how we have the chaplaincy, is, is that we don't promote purely our brand of faith, but that we can also uh, help provide uh, religious support uh, for people of any type of faith. That provides some in interesting quandaries for some folks, but I see it as simply the role and the task uh, of, of a pastor who's trying to pastor people uh, and help them practice their faith. So it was uh, some very interesting experiences uh, along the way. Are there a lot of Nazarene chaplains? Is there like a community of you guys out there? There is a Facebook group, Nazarene Military Chaplains. We've got some great leadership that take uh, is kind of like a pastor to us and, and checks in on us and, and makes sure that we're, we're doing okay. And it's, it really has a, a great prayer ministry for us. Mm. Uh, Pray 60, they have that slogan in a lot of places. Uh, take a uh, 60 seconds a day and pray for chaplains everywhere, whether they're just here in the States like me or whether they're in harm's way. Um, but then to, uh, uh, yeah, that's it. So there's a, I think mainly just a Facebook group and there's a common community. Uh, I don't know if there's more than 50. Mm. I don't know the exact number, uh, across all military branches. Mm. Um, 50 to a hundred perhaps. Once you're a chaplain. Yeah. Oh, what is your connection with the denomination? Because you're not employed by the denomination. Right. Um, did, were you ordained before you left, or were you mm -hmm. ordained um, after you became a chaplain? Um, so I was commissioned as a, as a chaplain in 2010. I've been a district licensed minister since 2001. Oh, wow. <laughs> licensed really early, uh, and then ordained in 2011. Mm. Um, so they can go in that order. For that side of things um, and then you're right we, we don't have a Nazarene paycheck we don't have a, a connection beyond being um, uh, connected to our district and, and labeled as a chaplain um, which I don't think I even have that since I'm a pastor too um, but 
the ones that are active duty, that is their um, classification. Like for us, it's a, it's a pastor or, or pastoral service or however it's labeled uh, for the district. Um, they are full-time chaplain. But again, you, you, your paycheck comes from somewhere else, not a Nazarene institution. Uh, so it, it, to me, it feels a, very much like a missionary service. Uh, mm-hmm. We are out there in a bit of a foreign land. You know, it's not a parish. It's, it's not a, a Nazarene church. Uh, a local church, uh, but it's it's in a totally different realm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I imagine that must be fascinating. How do you understand your connection to a denomination when mm-hmm. you're not going to a Nazarene church? You're not a pastor of a Nazarene mm-hmm. church. You're um, disconnected in a lot of ways that the average mm-hmm. pastor would be connected. Are you going to yearly? checkups of any kind are you how are you they i think i think they strongly encourage us to get to palcon uh it, we used to have a like a chaplain support training every year or two years uh but federal funding was diminished and, and that went away um and then um i mean there's just yeah there's not many connections out there i, I mean i met a, a chaplain who had been in 25 years or something like that and he had his membership somewhere and with a local church and with the district um but you know his flock was there on on an army post or wherever he was at um you you know it's kind of like a shepherd he he wants to continue hanging out with his sheep and so he just stays with them and it's it's just a different model of ministry (laughs) if you are Again, on the other side of the world with them, um, and you, you're embedded, you are among them, and whether they listen to your Bible stuff or not, they watch your Jesus lifestyle all the time. Mm. Um, Is there uh, a story that you might share that kind of embodies what it's like mm. to be a chaplain, to experience life in Afghanistan? I have a billion memories um my my unit was all across the country and uh in usually a do- literally a dozen different places and so we traveled routinely and repeatedly uh to go visit them at those different locations um we had you know a home and a bed in in Kabul but we were only there about half the time and um i can just remember some one northwest corner of the country visiting there one time um, and we um, our sister unit had lost soldiers there um, a month prior and everywhere we drove through the town just felt dark mm. um, it in, in Kabul it was just a hair more progressive but here the shops felt felt dark there was just it felt evil for, for lack of a better way to put it it just definitely felt like something else had a hold on that city. Um, and so my, my soldiers there, uh, when I went to visit them, they were just, up, they weren't, you know, down the, the dumps or anything, but it was just, it, it was heightened tensions everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so anything you can, you can do to, to bring <laughs> levity, to bring, um, hope, uh, to bring, uh, optimism, uh, in the midst of that, uh, we it is a means of grace. We are bringing the grace of Christ into a darker situation, mm-hmm. um, and, and I think that's you know from 
day to day. That's what we're all called to do. Uh, whether we're lay people in the workaday culture, um, in, in cube life, uh, whether we are uh, you know in a, in a pastor's office or in a pulpit, wherever we're at, I think it's incumbent upon us to to speak hope and speak life uh, to the people around us. That's that's our calling as Christians, not our, our calling as ministers even. So kind of getting back to your story, mm-hmm. how did you go from being a chaplain, getting mm-hmm. back from your tour of duty, yeah. um, to where you are now at Knoxville First Church the Nazarene? So um, when I deployed over there, we resigned the church we were serving in northern Kentucky and uh, moved my wife and two kids at the time to um, literally across the street from her parents in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, I got home um, and the Lord just gave us an overwhelming sense that we were to plant the flag and call Knoxville home um, and ministry would work itself out. Uh, So three years as an associate pastor in the greater Knoxville area in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, um, and then then now um, six or seven weeks ago, uh, began pastoring at Knoxville First Church, the Nazarene. And he had... um, I think he had it orchestrated beautifully because when you come home from the other side of the world and you haven't been with your family uh, for a year, uh, it there is nearly a year of reentry uh, mm-hmm. and and getting to know one another again. Um, and then we had another child, and the, the third one's a doozy. I tell you that um, we we call him Tornado because he he really is so. Uh, that you can't just each take care of a kid anymore. You got to play the zone defense. You're and, outnumbered. And you're definitely outnumbered all the time, and uh, yeah. and so um, that that took its own uh, learning curve. Uh, that he's a joy, and all three uh, of our kids are awesome. And uh, so, getting used to being back with family, getting used to an expanded family. Uh, I think we were only ready uh, in this latest season uh, of life. Uh, for this moment. Um, and, and now, uh, with my, my father's also relocated there. Uh, it, it, it's definitely home. Um, and so, we, at least myself, I mean, I've talked to my wife about this as well. We look ahead, and, and I mean, I'm in my mid-30s, and I, I see, you know, 15, 20 years a, ahead of me uh, of trying to increase uh, Wesleyan holiness understanding uh, across Knoxville. Um, I, I see other metropolitan areas in the state of Tennessee or nearby, dozens of churches around Nashville, a dozen or so around Chattanooga. I see no reason that Knoxville, being of equal stature in the state, can't have a, a wonderful Wesleyan uh, holiness movement across uh, all of Knoxville. So uh, we're praying towards what that would look like um, mm-hmm. and, and all the, the, the outreach and everywhere around us. So you've been a senior pastor for mm-hmm. six or seven weeks. Yeah, yeah. What, um, it, it's a new role for you, right? You were associate well, before. And then a couple of years before Afghanistan, I was a lead pastor. Yeah. Oh right. Okay. Yeah. So but this but is like three pastor. or four associates uh, since right. you know, two thousand or whatever across right. the last fifteen years. Yeah. But you're young. You're in your mid thirties. Right. You're pastoring as a senior pastor. Is there any part of of the ministry that you're thinking? I'm nervous about this, or I was not prepared for this, or um, have you been caught off guard by anything so far? You might still be in your honeymoon phase. I don't know. But... Definitely, probably in that uh, in that honeymoon phase. Um, everybody is encouraging all the time, and, uh, and 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 we would hope that you would always encourage your pastors. They always need it. I'll tell you that much. But 
I mean, I, I was talking to a buddy here at, at the conference that uh, had went on to do doctoral work in leadership, and he said, you know, that's the one thing that's absent for most of our graduate education for our pastors or undergraduate, for that matter, uh, is is just leading people and how you, you know, move an organization forward. Um, we talk about the, the church as as an organism or as the body of Christ, but it still needs to lurch forward at its own pace. Um, and that's, that's, uh, that takes some leadership. Uh, that takes some, some shepherding. It takes, uh, you know, some rod and staff leading the way, uh, forward and saying, Hey, I see, you know, a, a hill or a valley or, um, a, a place to, for our sheep to get some water way over there. And, mm-hmm. and I, and I, I'm telling you, that's, that's the, probably the best place for us. Um, but let's look together on, and let me show you how we're going to get over there step by step. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, that's lacking in a lot of our education. Um, it's, it's just one of those tough things. Uh, mm-hmm. it's simply the running of a church as well. Um, it's, it's, uh, we, we spend plenty of time talking doctrine, theology, uh, and, and Bible, uh, exegesis. Uh, and those are well and good things that, that are, incumbent upon the pastor to be uh, the vital resource for the church uh, on those matters. Uh, but we also, <laughs> it would help to know how to, to effectively run the church. So mm-hmm. um, so literally God's been preparing me for this for the past uh, four, six years, whatever uh, my um, civilian or secular, secular career is all been in IT and, and project management. And then in the military, we, we continuously learning organizational leadership and so all that comes together and has kind of filled the gap and again readied us for this this next season uh, of ministry so tell me about the vision what are Mm -hmm. what are you most looking forward to what are you what are your hopes and dreams um for knoxville first well i'd love to see them uh continue to to reach people that are unreached Uh, we have a a cool area near downtown uh, called market square uh, and i haven't really shared this with anyone um but we visited there a couple times recently, and there's just shops and restaurants and just life and vibrancy in, in the city. It's really kind of become the heart of the city uh, over some, uh, you know, community re- redesign down, downtown over the past decade. And, um, you know, I sit there and I look around and I say, how is the church of the Nazarene going to reach these people? Mm. We don't, we're not called to simply reach the people sitting in our pews. We're called to reach everybody with, with the message. Um, surely, surely each church um, don't think it too tall of a task uh, that everyone um, it is fertile ground for a relationship to, to draw into to Christ to, to to get to know for the sake of the gospel and and I I feel that we pigeonhole ourselves sometimes uh, in saying oh we just you know we're only good at, at reaching this type of a person or this color of a person or this age of a person. Uh, but I think we're called to, to reach all people for the sake of the gospel. First uh, Timothy 2 said that Christ died that all may be saved, not just some. Um, and, and the only way we're going to do that is if we intentionally try to reach out to all people. Yeah. So I, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. Uh, I, I can see um, whether, you, whether you call them churches or new works or, or, or missional communities. Um, I don't exactly know the, uh, the organism <laughs> that it will be delivered by. Um, but I see uh, the people of Jesus reaching out uh, across our city somehow uh, in more locations and more ways than we currently are. And I think that's um, 
the only way that we can accomplish the, the mission uh, is by, by multiplying uh, or, or making it exponential, as the, the current buzzwords are these days. Because um, uh, seriously, I mean, if we want to put it down to brass tacks, I, I don't think it's a, a wise use of God's resources to spend over $100,000 a year to um, have you know, one new person become a member mm. of our church or to have um, you know, an increase of <laughs> a couple of people here, here and there. Uh, I, I think our goals and our sights need to be set bigger than that. Um, I think we, we need to not reach the one. I think we need to open more than one new outposts of ministry uh, where we currently aren't reaching anyone, um, that they may uh, find the church, that they may find a church community, that they may find uh, the body of Christ, mm-hmm. that the body of Christ would meet them where they're at. That's, that's awesome. I I want to ask you about why you stay, but mostly mm-hmm. I know that you're really passionate about holiness as you understand mm-hmm. it now. So I wonder if you can articulate kind of maybe that journey for us mm-hmm. and um, how you've ended up where you are now and why you feel like the message of holiness is important. Yeah, that's a great, great reason that, uh, that I do stay. Um, so in that uh, three years of, uh, I'll call it limbo, uh, where I was an associate pastor, but I just thought, you know, I'm supposed to be a pastor and, and I need to hurry up and, and move uh, into this role. You know, I, I looked out at other Wesleyan-leaning denominations and, and said, you know, is this where I'm supposed to go, Lord? And uh, I reached out to those. Um, but something about the Church of Nazarene uh, and the family that's here uh, holds me here. Mm-hmm. And I think um, that our commitment to the message of holiness, I don't hear it really anywhere else, um, that also... Uh, where, where ministry also looks like the way the Church of Nazarene is attempting to, to do ministry. Um, so uh, around 2001, when I was a uh, fresh district licensed minister, still in engineering school, not even in seminary yet, um, I, I went on an evangelistic internship with uh, Jeremiah Bullock uh, through Stephen Manley's Crossdial organization. Um, and it was that summer that the light bulb clicked for me, uh, that, that holiness wasn't about living up to a set of rules. It was about Christ doing a radical, transforming work in our hearts and lives um, and, and, and reshaping our, our mind, our heart, our, and our everything uh, such, that it, it, such that our lives uh, were the, the ministry that reaches out uh, to other people, not a, a legalistic-based holiness that I had seen uh, growing up. Um, and, and with grace, uh, it's it's not simply uh, yes I believe these these things and now I've I've checked all the boxes. Um, it is uh, my life has been changed. I couldn't do it, so Christ did it in me. Um, and, and I'm reminded over and over um, that we can't do it in our strength, and it has to be the work that Christ does in our life. Um, I, it, I was raised to thinking that if you just you know work hard enough and work smart enough, then then you can do it and you can you know, live a holy life. It was so freeing to realize that I was never intended to be capable to do that. That it Christ has to do the work in me and in my life because I'm incapable. Um, he provides the, the capability, um, and, and then uh, it, it all goes back to, to Jeremiah and, and having literally the law inscribed on our heart, and such that our hearts are transformed. Um, by his power, not by our <laughs> capabilities. So, so that core message uh, of grace-based holiness uh, has patterned my life 
uh, or my understanding of, of the Bible, my understanding of, of our message of holiness uh, ever since. And, uh, and, and I would love to be able to um, continue uh, helping people understand what um, they think they already believe, as I sometimes put it. Um, so uh, I love developing leaders. I love mentoring uh, college-age folks. Um, and, and I try to find places to do that through our, our district studies program or, or through uh, ministry interns at, at our church this summer. Um, anywhere I can uh, help understand the vision, help others understand the vision of, of the Church of Nazarene uh, moving uh, into the 21st century. Now it's already 2016, so um, we're losing ground some days. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, I went to church planting essentials training in February and, um, I'd been studying church planting, planting for the, like, I mean, a, a decade. Um, and, and I don't know, you know, when or how, um, God will, uh, move us toward that direction. Uh, I think he's kind of always doing it in, in these days because it's going to just take different forms of ministry to reach a 2016 world, to reach a, a 21st century world. They're not going to stumble in through the front doors of the church anymore. And the front doors of the church have to move to the people in whatever ways that's going to look like. And, it, and we can't be afraid of what format that looks like. Can't be, you know, have preconceived notions of what form, what that, that looks like. Um, we know that it'll look like Jesus and we have to bring Jesus everywhere we go um, and, and bring the quote front doors of the church to the people um so i just that's my passion for um the church of nazarene for for across the country for the, the church of christ in, in general um is, is that we would just continue multiplying and exploding and give people new opportunities to define the church because the way we've always been doing it just isn't going to always keep working well thank you for joining me on the podcast and i i really appreciate your your service and your service in the Church of the Nazarene. I think it's really, really cool all that you've managed to do in such a short span of ministry already, right? Yeah. You're still young, but you've already yeah. done a lot and you've seen a lot of things and you've been doing a lot of work and I think that's really awesome. I really appreciate that. It's, it's fun. I encourage you on this venture. Um, I think uh, uh, our, our, our current generation of uh, Nazarenes needs to continually be encouraged not only by uh, our colleagues like this, um, but by our uh, wise advisors looking down on us, I think we need encouragement, um, and, and by the next generation coming up. Uh, so I always say to um, have people pouring into your life and be pouring into the lives of others. If someone had questions mm-hmm. about being a chaplain in the church yeah. or wanted to check out Knoxville First Church of the Nazarene, yeah. where can they look you up? How can they reach you? Well, anyone can, can reach out to me at uh, my full name, Scott mcollins at gmail.com. They can check out Knoxville First Church the Nazarene at kfcn.org. We live stream uh, all our services and you can go back to our our previous services. Um, If you ever pass through, like so many do, uh, stop in and say hello. We'll, We'll welcome you.